Hello, it's 7th of October 2018 and this is episode 80 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. And today we have an update on the challenge. So I will go first because I sense that I might have more to say than Kirsty right now. <laughs> Sorry, that's so mean. That's true. It all will become clear in a minute. Um, but yeah, so my challenge, in case you are unaware or missed last week's episode, was to read Claudio Gray's Lost Stars. So I have made decent progress with this mission. I'll say I'm about a third of the way in. So my personal target is to finish it by next week's show, which might be a tad ambitious. Um, <laughs> but I still want to try and keep to that. So we will see how that happens. Um, but yeah, I'm really enjoying it so far. I will, however, say that I've just read a passage that I think is probably really heavy foreshadowing for how the book ends. And I was a bit like, oh no, oh no, it's not going to end like that, is it? Oh, it is <laughs> going to end like that. Oh, crap. Um, yeah, so that was a bummer. I, I can't talk about it right now but for obvious reasons, because in case I'm right, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't read the book yet. But yeah, suffice to say that if it does happen in the way I think it's going to happen, then my heart's going to be shattered into a million little pieces. Would you say I sound like I'm thinking along the right lines, Kirsty, or are you going to keep a tactful silence? I'm I'm going to stay silent on that one, and we can have a proper discussion. Like we can we can dedicate like a decent chunk of an episode to that book if if you, if you do get it finished next week, or if we're talking about it the week after, or whatever. Cool. Um, I think we could have a really good discussion around that. And in terms of my challenge, which I'm so far failing abysmally because <laughs> I don't even have the book yet. <laughs> it was not available at my local public library, so I had to order it from Amazon and it wasn't on Amazon proper. It was like a third party seller, so they take a while to ship. Um, so I will start reading it as soon as I get it, but I probably won't have it for another few days. Um, and... That might work out well, because then it might be like the week after that that we can talk about my challenge. So Yeah. Yeah, if we do like one per week or something like that. So yeah. I'm trying to see the bright side here. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. We'll make it work. And it's good to be realistic about these things. Like, and I was actually thinking I hadn't even told you the specific chapter titles. I told you which chapters in terms of what they're about. Yeah. So I'm sure you could figure it out. But after this show, I will actually send you, these are the chapters you need to read. Okay. Because obviously you can read the whole book if you so desire, but there's just specific chapters that I think you'd particularly enjoy and are particularly relevant to our interests. Yeah, I'll go to those chapters first, and then if I really enjoy that, I'll read, read the rest in my own time. Yeah, the other thing was that I was hoping to catch the first few episodes of Resistance before we recorded today, because it's showing, like, we got it wrong last week, actually. I think it's showing on Disney Channel and XD. Um, mm. but it's meant to be on Disney at 10pm tonight but some people are able to watch it already if they have like access to Disney now but I don't have cable so I have Sling which is not uh, something that works with Disney now so I couldn't get that and I'm sad <laughs> yeah it's like major FOMO people are talking obviously the most people are being polite and not dropping spoilers but everyone's talking about it on twitter like how excited they are and how much they're enjoying it so i'm happy for them but i'm also envious yeah oh, sad times <laughs> <laughs> but it seems to be going over well so far and people really love the animation style and the introductions to the characters so we'll talk yeah. more about that later because there have been a few more tidbits from the creators definitely i've heard really good things about it which is exciting yeah Hopefully we can have a full discussion about the first couple of episodes next week. Yes, that's the goal anyway. So we will see how that pans out. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then I think we can move into the news section. So obviously the big news of this week is that we have learnt a lot of new stuff about John Favreau's new TV series. So I was wondering, would you like to take it away, Kirsty, and share the latest news? Yeah, so this is from StarWars.com. Um, production on the first Star Wars live-action streaming series has begun. After the stories of Jango and Boba Fett, another warrior emerges in the Star Wars universe. The Mandalorian is set after the fall of the Empire and before the emergence of the First Order. We follow the travails of a lone gunfighter in the outer reaches of the galaxy, far from the authority of the New Republic. 
The series will be written and ex executive produced by Emmy-nominated producer and actor John Favreau, as previously announced with Dave Filoni, Star Wars The Clone Wars, Star Wars Rebels, directing the first episode. Additional episodic directors include Deborah Chow, Rick Famuyiwa, Bryce Dallas Howard, and Taika Waititi. It will be executive produced by John Favreau, Dave Filoni, Kathleen Kennedy, and Colin Wilson. Karen Gilchrist will serve as co-executive producer. Stay tuned to StarWars.com for updates. And they included this official still of The Mandalorian. Like, I'm not normally one for, like, Boba or the armor or anything, but they've made that look like a sexy picture, so I'm impressed. Yeah, I never really got the whole Boba Fett thing. I know other people are, like, big fans of him, but it's just not... We, you know, we said last week, like, neither of us particularly were excited by the prospect of The Mandalorian, but yeah. after seeing this um, press release of everyone who was going to be attached to the project and there had been rumors from jason ward at making star wars for a few days beforehand so we had some idea but mm. we are pretty excited about this now yes no definitely like i think seeing all this information and seeing the photo it really brings it to life in a way that just knowing the bare bones of it that we had before didn't do so yeah just the whole concept of a john favreau tv series set three years after return of the jedi there's very little meat to go on there. And even vaguely knowing the rumour that it was going to be set on Mandalore, or at least partially set on Mandalore, it's still not much, you know? Whereas now that we have this photo, and for me personally, more importantly, knowledge of the creatives who are going to be involved in the project, I'm suddenly much more excited about it. I still feel like it's not instant buy-in for me. So while I'm excited, I'm not like, oh my god, I know I'm going to love this. Like, I think with The Last Jedi, like basically everything about that project from the very first teasers we got of like ryan johnson on set shouting action i was like yep i'm sold i'm in whereas with this i feel like it does still need to work a bit to get me engaged and get me on board but that's to be expected because the last jedi had the advantage of following characters i already loved and cared about whereas with the mandalorian it's going to be a new setting and new characters new stories and that's really exciting and thrilling but yeah, I need to see them in order to really be sold on it. Yeah, I understand. And that's totally fair. Um, we just, we've got to see how it goes. Um, and before this announcement came out, we did have very little to go on besides from the fact that it was going to be about Mandalore or, or a Mandalorian. Um, yeah. Which other people were obviously over the moon about. But to us, that's not something we've been invested in. So it's like, okay, well, we'll see, you know. Yeah. Um. But we have been talking, and everyone else in the fandom, or at least a lot of people, it feels like, have been talking for a long time now about how important it would be for us to have a female director for Star Wars. And this is amazing. And we have yeah. people of color and a woman of color. Um, yeah. This is really exciting. I'm glad that it's finally happening. Because when the whole John, John Favreau thing was announced... We kind of assumed, I guess, because he's also a director as well as a producer and a writer, that it might be his project. Um, mm. So it's really good to see that they're bringing in all these different voices. Yeah. No, it's so encouraging. And yeah, like, for me, it was quite a lovely surprise because, for example, Deborah Chow, I hadn't even heard of her before this announcement. Had you heard of her, Kirsty? No. Um, when they said Jessica Jones, I was like, oh, cool. I still haven't gotten around to, to seeing that show, but I've heard great things. And I saw a lot of people talking about this amazing episode of Better Call Saul that she directed. I tried looking it up and it's not available on Netflix yet. It's season four, I think. Um, right. But yeah. I, I'm going to start looking into stuff that these directors have done. Because Dope, yes. uh, that was a movie I wanted to watch a long time ago as well and I just never got around to it. But now yeah. it's a good kind of motivation to go back and and watch more things yeah no that's why i love it because when it's people that you're not really familiar with i find it so exciting to go and watch their work and get a feel for the sort of artists they are and what they're going to bring to the project mm -hmm. it's like when we knew that ryan was going to be involved and we did the whole thing of going out and seeking his work and seeing what he was all about it was so exciting to like watch his movies and think like wow this guy is a really singular voice so yeah i'm excited to 
see Deborah Chow's work and and Rick Famuyiwa's work. Especially dope, because yeah, I've heard nothing but great things about that. On a personal level, because of who I'm most familiar with, I'm I'm the most excited about Taika Waititi because like since watching Fight of the Concords as a teenager, I've been a fan of his and followed his work. Like the yeah. whole eagle, eagle versus shark thing and my eternal crush on Jermaine Clement, which is kind of embarrassing. But oh. uh, yeah, I, and Thor Ragnarok was my favourite Marvel movie as well. So very excited about that. Yeah, like of all the directors they've announced, I'm definitely most familiar with Taika Waititi's work. Um, because yeah, obviously Ragnarok, but the film from him that I really, really love is Hunt for the Wilder People, which I think is so fabulous. And if anyone out there has not seen Hunt for the Wilder People, they need to treat themselves and go out and watch it because it's just such a lovely, heartwarming, life-affirming movie. What We Do in the Shadows is my favourite. I feel like I've watched that so many times and I still find something funny to laugh at each time. It's just so yeah. good. It is really funny. Yeah, like, but... I like the fact that they have Nosferatu in the basement. <laughs> so like, yeah, mockumentaries like that are always my kind of thing. But yeah, it's, it's a great one. Is that movie from New Zealand, right? Yes. I think they're supposed to be a sequel as well, like focused on the werewolves. Oh, okay. I'm not sure if that's happening, but I'd, I'd heard about it a while back, so I'll have to look it into it. definitely needs to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I was just thinking, that it's like, what they do in the shadows is especially appealing, I think, to us as British people. So there is something about that humour yes. that is super, super British. Yeah, well, that's what I liked about Ragnarok as well. And when I heard that he'd been inspired by, like, Withnell and I, it just, mm. it, yeah, his sense of humour is kind of in that vein. Yeah, it's just really delightful. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to seeing how that might translate to Star Wars because of the whole... Like, some of the criticism at The Last Jedi was that it was, like, too funny in that weird way that people weren't comfortable with, even though Star Wars kind of always has been a bit goofy. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he goes for that with The Mandalorian with his episode, or they just kind of play it straight, or if there's already an existing, like, humorous element to the show that he just kind of expands on, because he's directing the finale episode. Yeah. So that's the thing. I'd expect for a finale episode, I, I don't know, this is just my preconceptions about TV series talking, I think. But in my head, a finale episode is always going to be the dramatic episode where it's relatively serious. And I'm not saying there's no humour at all, but I would expect there to be less levity in that than there would in other episodes. Right. I should add that the the people attached to each episode that's not been officially announced yet that's stuff that jason ward at making star wars is reporting the official release says that dave filoni is directing the first episode which jason says is correct um but then after that he's linking um various people to different ones so apparently dave filoni will also write um direct the fifth episode um and then taika watiti will do the finale which is episode eight um I think it previously people had thought that there were going to be 10 episodes, but Jason's saying there are only eight. Right, yeah. So. Which is quite unusual, isn't it? Because I think 10 is quite a standard number of episodes now. But I guess the whole idea of a streaming platform is it gives you flexibility to do however many episodes you need slash want, which is mm -hmm. quite nice. Yeah, it might be the case that they had 10 episodes at an earlier stage and then decided to condense things. Yeah. That makes sense. We might never know that kind of detail, so. Yeah, exactly. Like, my guess would also be that it might just be, like, a budgetary thing, in that the show's clearly going to be very expensive, and the fewer episodes there are, the more affordable it's going to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing the production value's going to be, uh, be millions of dollars per episode, right? Like, if they're trying to compete mm. with shows, like, in the realm of, you know, something like Game of Thrones... You're probably looking yeah. at like $10 million an episode or something. Yeah, it's going to be very high. So I know that they want it to be like a flagship thing for them. Mm. So I think they're going to be throwing all their resources into it, which is exciting. So I think we can expect a very high quality product. But mm -hmm. I guess it means it's a bit of a high risk gamble for Disney. Yeah. Oh, one, one other thing that Jason noted that hasn't been officially announced as far as I know is that Greg Fraser, who was the director of photography for Rogue One, is working on this as well so as the director of photography, which I think okay. is really exciting because all the things that, that I don't love about Rogue One, one of the things that I do appreciate is just how gorgeous it is. 
It's yes. a really, really beautiful movie. Um, that's one Absolutely. of my things that I always take away from it. So yeah. that's really cool. No, it has fantastic aesthetic going on. So that cannot be faulted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what about this synopsis then, Kirsty? The whole idea of following a lone gunfighter in the outer reaches of the galaxy. Well, so it it does appeal to me because at first I was like, oh, so it's about Mandalorian society and culture and it'll be set on Mandalore and we'll see lots of Mandalorians. But after mm. properly reading it and processing it, I was like, oh, maybe it's just him by himself as this like lone like Ronin figure. Yeah. Um, off doing something mysterious like a secret mission or he's been outcast for some reason or you know something that's like sets him apart and that's kind of what drives the story right and that he's Mm. like this lone enigmatic figure um which would be quite different and i like that idea i think that's more interesting to me what do you think yeah definitely yeah, no, like, it sounds very classic. It's, like, that ultimate, like, Western setup, isn't it? Like, mm. of just, like, the, the the lonely stranger, like, wandering around. Like, and, yeah, I guess for me, I'm going to need there to be, like, more to the character than the mystery. So I'm going to want substance to the character. He can't just be, like, oh, international man of mystery. Um, which I'm sure won't be the case. But, yeah, like, it's the sort of thing where it's an intriguing premise. But it's also quite a cliched premise because we've seen that idea of like a lone gunfighter done so many times. I just want to make sure that they do it justice and they do it in the most interesting way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they're just trying to give us a little taste to start with so that there's something to contextualise it. Um, I've already seen discourse around whether he should take his helmet off or not. <laughs> Some people are strongly against that idea. They want oh, really? To- yes. They want him wow. to remain mysterious and like to not see his face and that to be part of the character. So see, for me, I don't want that at all. I... Yeah, no, I figured. I mean, you can use it again, like similar to the whole Kylo Ren thing. You could use it to highlight certain aspects of the story or character that he chooses to unmask at certain moments or reveal certain things at certain parts of the story, you know, like peel off those layers. So we'll just see how it goes, I guess. Um, yeah. I think it could be done interestingly in many different ways. So I'm yeah, no, to definitely. Keep an open mind. Yeah, so it's not necessarily the case that there's only one right way of doing it. There's flexibility to do it in any number of ways, but I don't know. I guess I just remember Force Awakens and the fact I was enjoying the Kylo character and it was all trundling along quite nicely. But then when you actually see. The, the mask come off the interest in the character just maximized tenfold and no it's not just because i have a big crush on adam driver um it's just because i need that human connection and i need to see the emotions on the person's face and i need to be able to connect to them and empathize with them on that level and if they're just wearing a helmet all the time i can't do that i'm not saying have no mystery or always be helmetless obviously they're gonna sometimes be wearing the helmet but yeah, like I need to see them like eating, for example. <laughs> and like you cannot eat with that helmet on. I'm sorry, it looks cool, but it's not made for function, you know? Mm. I think they can use it in interesting ways. It gives them options to tell the story, you know, in all these different levels. Um, and it says a lot about a character in terms of who they're willing to unmask around or what they're willing to do in, in terms of humanizing themselves for other people. Yeah. So it could be that in some episodes he's wearing it and some he's not. Yeah, no, that's true. In terms of the directors, what do you think about the choice of Bryce Dallas Howard in particular? Because she obviously has a family connection to Star Wars, doesn't she? That's pretty much all I think about it. Like, I'm happy to see another woman in addition to Deborah Chow. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know any of her other work as a director. Obviously, I've seen her as an actress, but um, I'm not sure what to think of that right now to be honest i'll have to check out some stuff yeah i think besides um mandalorian i think she's only really done short films so it'll be interesting to see how she tackles this new subject matter in terms of like doing episodes of a tv series Mm -hmm. i think she'll do well like i think everyone will do well because i really think that kathleen kennedy will have wanted these female directors to be put in the best possible position for success right 
And when I say that, I don't mean in the sense of, oh, she's coddling them. No, of course <laughs> like, not. It's not like that at all. But that they're given but, good material to work with and then given the support to make it the best possible episode they can. Yeah, exactly. And with Bryce, let's face it, she has a great advantage because she just has her dad call on should she need him. Mm. So that's all, that support base is always there, which, which is great. Then, yeah, with the whole Filoni thing, coming into it as a director, um, how do you feel about that with him making the transition from animated to live action? Are you excited to see what he can do? Yeah, I am. And I think it makes total sense for him to be involved with this project as someone who has probably done the most to expand Mandalorian culture and lore in the canon. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think it's probably really exciting for him to be finally directing live action. Yes, I think if you, if you look at a lot of the interviews that he gives about the animation work that he's done, it's it's incredible, really. Some of the episodes of Rebels are just amazing. Like, yeah. I don't love all of it, and I will, you know, say if something's not to my taste. Like, I don't love every single episode of Rebels, but the ones that are amazing are amazing. Yes. He knows his stuff. And I agree with a lot of what he has to say about the central themes of Star Wars, so I'm really interested to see how he translates that here. Yeah. No, I think it's going to be so interesting, because directing live action is so so different from directing animation mm-hmm. so it'll be a really great way of building that skill set for him and yeah it'll be interesting because i've obviously seen discussion where some people are suggesting they'd like to see dave filoni get a movie and that sort of thing and i totally get why people would be asking for that but i absolutely think he needs to do something like this first because there's no way you can really go straight into like a live action movie having only directed uh, animated TV series. So it's such a different medium. Well, probably not at the Star Wars level. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, Definitely. if you're starting with something small and independent, maybe, but if it's going to yeah, be yeah. like a... Yeah. Of course, that's what I mean. It's yeah. like, if you're directing like a $2 million indie film, then fine, knock yourself out. It doesn't matter if it fails. But if you're directing a $200 million Star Wars film, it's like, it needs to be good. <laughs> And yeah, that's immense, immense pressure to put on anyone, mm-hmm. let alone someone who hasn't done live action. So yeah, yeah, it will be really great to see what he can do. Exactly. I'm really interested to see how that goes. And yeah. I think it makes a large chunk of the fan base really excited and more on board with this project. Because I, th- I was mm. looking through this list and I was like, wow, I feel like this is actually, knock on wood, <laughs> has the potential to unite the fan base. <gasps> now I've said it. We're gonna see some ridiculous levels of discourse, of course. But yes. like, this has something potentially for everyone because you have people who are like Mando Mercs, you know, they love Mandalorian stuff. Yes. And then you have people who love Dave Filoni, and of course, the crossover of all these different aspects. Then you have yeah. people like us who have been like, please, can we have some female directors and directors of color and just some better representation? And we were hoping that the TV project would be the thing to do that because it's almost. You know, to, in from a certain light, it's as you say, less. It's lower stakes, right? Yeah. And this is more experimental for the streaming service, even though it's obviously going to be expensive and high budget. But yeah, I just feel like this has the potential for being something for everyone in certain aspects. So, really intrigued to see how that goes. Yeah. No, I think it's very promising so far. And I will follow it with great interest. <laughs> and I think it's really, it's reassuring for people who were concerned about resistance being like overly juvenile because yeah, we're going to have all these different types of TV shows and they'll be targeted at different demographics. And that's cool because Star Wars is for yeah. everyone. Exactly. And there will be something out there to appeal to all different types, which is mm-hmm. great. Right. Is there anything else we want to say about The Mandalorian? I don't think so. I mean... Well, I guess there have been some casting rumours. Yeah, no, there have. They've all been a bit hazy, though. So I know that um, Jason at Making Star Wars suggested that Pedro Pascal Mm -hmm. was going to be involved. And then I think that was denied. Like, I'm sure absolutely that Jason heard it from reliable people and was reporting that in good faith. But yeah, obviously wires get crossed and things get misunderstood. So who knows? Mm -hmm. But yeah, what else have you heard? Uh, he was also talking about a rumour that John Leguizamo, who I know is like Tybalt from Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, and he was in Moulin Rouge as well. I'm sure he's been in tons of other stuff, but that's kind of what I associate him with. 
Okay, who did he play Moulin Rouge? Uh, what is the name? One of the, like, Christian's friends, like the writers. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I don't know there are specific names. Yeah. But if one of those dudes, I can, I have a mental reference point, so that's useful. Yeah, I'd have to look up the name, but he's in that, so. Okay, cool. But yeah, like, I have no idea in terms of, like, what kind of role he'd play. I didn't, I didn't read the article that Making the Styles put out. I just saw that his name was floated. Yeah. Because I'm guessing that some of the stuff that came out officially recently was in response to how much Jason was getting. Yeah. They wanted to actually be able to announce it on their own terms. Yeah. You need to be able to control the narrative. And they were very much losing the narrative. Right. So who knows? If they keep getting these rumours of who's might, who potentially might be in the show, then maybe we'll get some casting news. Exactly. So yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. So it's weird, isn't it, to get a photo from the set without knowing who's actually in that costume? I know, it's exciting. So like, it's giving us something of a context because he looks like he's walking through a marketplace on what looks like could be a desert planet. So it's like, is he on Tatooine? Like, is it an entirely new planet? I'm guessing it's not Jakku, but who knows? Like, anything is possible. Yeah. Pretty so cool. So many different questions. Yeah. It'd be yeah. kind of cool to see Tatooine again. Oh, it would be. And that has the Boba Fett connection. Yeah, and I was thinking if it is set on, like, Jakku at some point in the future, you could see, like, a couple, a drunk couple, oh, no. in the background <laughs> with, like, a baby in a sling. Oh, oh, no, actually, I've got an even better The Mandalorian is Rey's so... parent. <laughs> and it ends in I... him selling his baby for drinking money. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking that high concept, but sure. Uh, I was thinking more, so the picture, you have this drunk couple sat at a bar, they're both completely sloshed off their faces, and then just like a few metres away from them, you see little baby Ray, and she's like playing with some like mechanical toys and stuff, and it's really, really sad. Oh no. <laughs> I think that's baby too Ray. much. No. <laughs> Protect the innocent. Uh, gotta oh. link it to Ray's parents somehow. Yeah, it's exactly. The rules. All roads lead back to Ray's parents. <laughs> In the, as it should be. It's quite wonderful. Um, right, then I think we can move on to discuss some episode 9 stuff. Because, uh, yeah, we have Dominic Monaghan talking about episode 9 and it's really hilarious to me that he's talking so much about it. I guess maybe because he's like a newcomer so he's not as much in the culture of fear as all the other cast members are. Um, But yeah, he's been quite talkative which surprises me. Um, He was on the Distraction Pieces podcast which I've never heard of before um, but apparently it's a weekly podcast hosted by Scroobius Pip with long form unedited interviews which is extremely interesting, although terrifying to me as someone who does a podcast. <laughs> the idea of long-form, unedited podcasts is just like a nightmare scenario. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is what Dominic said. I'll start off with a summary. So he starts off by saying he got a call from JJ, confirming the role in episode 9, when England were playing Colombia in the World Cup this year. And JJ had finished his first draft by then and told Dominic he had found a character for him. And Dom was basically saying the character was the right age and the right sensibility. And then here's an exact quote from Dominic. JJ is a friend of mine and he said to me that at some point I'd get the opportunity to read the script. He told me, just be aware of the fact that there are massive sequences in Act 2. There are massive sequences in Act 3. But because we're shooting Act 1 first, I've put you in there... And you seem to not be around as much in Act 2 and Act 3. But that's because that's what we're doing first. So I want you here. I want you invested. So read the script. But just know there won't be long until there will be a redraft of those things. And we'll see you a little bit more. So I read it. And the script is amazing. And obviously there isn't a lot I can say. And then there's some fluff about how he hugged Chewbacca. Which everyone says. And how he met Anthony Daniels and R2-D2. And he said that he has another six weeks of filming to go. So, yeah, I think there's actually quite a lot to unpack in that, Kirsty. Mm. Do you agree? Yeah. yeah, it's interesting to finally get confirmed somewhere that they're shooting essentially in chronological order. Yes. Which I think JJ did on The Force Awakens too, but I wasn't sure exactly if he was going to do that this way. 
Um, yeah. I know last time they had trouble because of Harrison getting injured and everything, so I wasn't sure if he was going to do things a little differently. Um, yeah. So, yeah, sounds like they're shooting at one first, and Dominic is heavily involved in that, or at least to the most extent for his character. That's the big act for him. And then yes. JJ was saying, we're going to rewrite elements of Act 2 and Act 3 as we go along. We're still working on those. So you might turn up more there, but we'll keep you posted. Yeah. Is that what you think it's saying? Yeah, I think that's what he's saying. Um, I know this is conjecture, and please take it as such, but this does kind of say to me that he's probably resistance, or at least mm-hmm. a good guy. When he said, right age, right sensibility, mm. that's what that's what made me think that. Because Dominic Monaghan just comes across as like a really sweet, down-to-earth, funny guy. I yeah. can't really see him as a villain. <laughs> yeah. He's an actor, so he can do whatever, I'm sure. But in terms of like JJ writing a part and then thinking, oh yeah, Dom's the guy to call for this. Yeah. Uh, it just seems like someone like on the resistance side or like an ally or something like that. Yeah. It'd be very much cast in against type, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, so I think it's probably reasonably safe to guess that he's playing a good guy, although we can't take it for granted. Um, and I think the main thing that stands out to me here as being interesting is this apparent approach of like rewriting a bit as he's going along and developing the story during filming, um, which is intriguing because that's basically what happened on The Force Awakens because so much of that film changed as they were filming. A lot of that happened because of Harrison Ford's injury and the production went on hiatus while he was recovering. And yeah, that allowed JJ some time to like think about things and sit back and rewrite certain sequences. Um, but yeah, it certainly seems like things have been altered as they go. And that makes me a little bit nervous, but also makes me excited because I love The Force Awakens so much. And I trust JJ to follow his instincts and I think he has great instincts, so... I think whatever he's doing is likely to be good. Yeah, I just think that The Last Jedi is a special case because Ryan was given the time to work on it so much before The Force Awakens was even released. Yeah, And they were kind of rushed with The Force Awakens. They had a set deadline. They had to get it out by. Like, that was just a given from Disney because it was the first yeah. film. They just wanted to start making money from their investment. And then with Episode Nine, obviously, with Trevorrow being let go, JJ coming on relatively late, and it's just a different different case altogether isn't it so they are kind of working in progress and even ryan like in the director in the jedi was saying that he had to edit as he was going which wasn't something that he was used to because of a time crunch so yeah exactly and if ryan was under a time crunch then <laughs> um, well you know JJ I'm guessing, must be under a massive one i'm guessing part of that time crunch was down to them remember it was originally going to be released in may yes and then actually it turned out that he got finished way ahead of schedule <laughs> Yeah. So So they were just sitting on a finished film for a long time, weren't they? I guess. So yeah, more condensed this time, but I'm sure they'll do fine. Yeah. JJ's a pro. Exactly. I trust him. <laughs> and I think it's also about being responsive to what you observe happening on the set and being inspired by that because we know, for example, that JJ looked at the Finn and Ray dynamic and he had originally written that as quite an antagonistic dynamic in his script and he decided to change tack with that because he saw that they had such lovely friendly chemistry in real life and so he played it as more of like a warmer closer relationship and I think yeah. that worked really well. Yeah I think it'll be that kind of thing where they're tweaking little bits it'll be the still the same story story in broad strokes they'll have decided that um, but yeah, it's just a reality that as you're going along, little things would be a little different. And I'm sure that was true for Ryan too, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. I think it's inevitable, really, with any film. Mm-hmm. Right, then the next thing we want to talk about is that Adam Driver has cancelled an appearance at the Cambridge Student Union because of Episode 9 filming prep. And yeah, the reason we wanted to talk about this, and we'll only talk about it quite quickly, is because he gave an interesting statement, and the statement reads, Star Wars has just had a massive schedule change, and given what they need to shoot next week, they need Adam to rehearse all day tomorrow. He feels terrible letting everyone down and doing this last minute, but has been left with no choice. This will be rescheduled at a later date. (laughs) He's such a good guy. Oh my god. 
<laughs> I'm sorry, but he is. Isn't People's this like guilty. a... Wouldn't this be like a minimum thing to say? Like, sorry, I can't be there. I'm letting people down. I have known celebrities cancel things like this with far, far less. Well, and, he, and he's at least giving an explanation. Yeah, it costs nothing to be polite. So people were excited to see you and then you can't make it. Say sorry. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, but he's an innocent little lamb, Kirsty. It's not even his fault, see? See, he's blaming on the production schedule. He's a polite adult and a professional. He is. So you're telling me he's not a little lamb? No. <laughs> okay, I have to deal with that. Um, so of course this tells us barely anything, but uh, you know, you, your mind yeah. runs and you're like, what big scene are they going to be filming that he needs to rehearse? Oh my God. Yeah, it, it's like very, very dramatic. Um my guess, if it needs to be like an all-day rehearsal, is I don't think we're talking about rehearsing lines. Yeah, I think it's, a big it's much action more likely thing. to be a big action scene mm-hmm. where he's got to rehearse certain moves and get the choreography right. Yeah, very exciting. It is very exciting. And I can't help but read this in relation to the stuff that Dominic was saying. Yeah, same. In terms of there being these massive sequences in Act 2 and Act 3. And how JJ is like reconfiguring things and figuring things out. So I think that Adam's statement is probably alluding to one of those massive sequences in Act 2. That Dominic's character probably wouldn't be a part of. Yes, exactly. And yeah, so he's clearly needed for that. And it must have been like bumped up or it required more time than they thought it did or something like that. But yeah, we'll probably never get the ins and outs or... If we do, it will be a few decades. So, <laughs> old. It's the kind of thing that, like, once we get the movie, we'll be like, oh, that might have been the scene they were talking about way back then. But... Yeah. Because <laughs> exactly. I still sometimes, like, see things, like, old posts from when episode eight was being filmed, and you'd hear, like, these little tidbits, and people would try to put things together. Sometimes people got it right, and then sometimes things were just, like, not at all apparent until we got the movie. And then it was like, oh, well, that was really obvious that that's the kind of thing they were talking about. But. Yeah. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Exactly. The Knights of Ren didn't go to the island. <laughs> <laughs> and some other Adam Driver news that, well, it was last week's news, but we didn't talk about it then. When he was on SNL, in all of mm-hmm. the promo stuff leading up to the show, he had like a little bit of facial hair, but when they actually came to film the show, he'd shaven. So <gasps> it's like, what is the truth? What is the Kylo Ren hair truth? Drama, drama, drama. You can't just shave like that. <laughs> yeah. And not say anything. Yeah. It's like it's got to mean something. <laughs> so yeah, oh. he he was looking Ben Solo modern AU. Yeah. No, he of. looked very, very good indeed. Yeah. And so. in terms of hair watch, the hair looked luscious and long and beautiful, which is very important and it should be important to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, also in a different area of hair watch, there's also been a new picture of Matt Smith. Yes. Which is interesting because he's obviously Star Wars bound. He's basically doing that thing that all the Doctor Who actors do, which is he's going around conventions. And I'd say his hair is looking particularly lustrous as well. So I wonder if he's going to be like a rival to Kylo Ren <laughs> in terms of like the hair stakes. I mean, lots of people in Star Wars have great hair, but only a few people have Skywalker legacy hair. <gasps> Maybe he's Luke's son. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh, don't. It would fix everything. And then he yeah. could marry Rey, and then they could have like unproblematic Skywalker babies. <laughs> yeah, I know some people are actually hoping for that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Kirsty. But the picture that you sent me, you're right. He does have that nice, like, swoopy bangs thing going on <laughs> soupy side <Yes>. bangs <laughs> and he also has a beard which might be a marker of evil so that means he <laughs> might be playing a knight of ren which means that the knights of ren might be staging a coup against kylo ren which is definitely what needs to happen yeah hashtag confirmed <laughs> i mean obviously beards are evil and that's why general hux has a big beard right <laughs> <laughs> he has the sideburns going on don't you remember General Hux wearing that big Amish-style beard? No, I, I must have missed that scene. <laughs> it was definitely there, Kirsty. You're just not paying attention. Damn, sorry. I need to go back and watch the, the ginger pilot stuff. 
it's definitely there in my head. Okay? <laughs> the version I play in my brain. Right, and then I think we can move on and point out that there has been a lot of publishing news to come out from New York Comic Con. Would you like to run over this, Kirsty? Yeah, I don't think there's actually a lot because some of this, most of this actually is like already announced stuff. We just got like yeah. a little extra detail and some cover art and stuff. Yeah, I guess when I say a lot, I mean a lot of like little extra things, like the covers to books that were previously announced, that sort of thing. Right. So um, at New York Comic Con, they started selling Women of the Galaxy, which we've talked about before. It's a kind of big coffee table style book, it looks like, by Amy Ratcliffe. Um, And it's not, she says that the entries are not, it's not like an encyclopedia, it's more of a celebration of the characters. And I think there's about 75 entries and they have stunning artwork from all of these female non-binary artists um for all of these amazing characters that we love so much and that they've given us like these sneak peeks and it includes characters like sienna from lost stars who Mm. i'm really excited to see because these are obviously lesser known characters like they're from the books not the movies and we haven't seen what they look like officially you know yeah. Um, you get a lot of like concept art and fan art um, and you, you even get like Claudia Gray does like her own fan casting that she then posts on social media for fun but it's not the same right? Yeah so it's, exactly. It's, it's really cool to see official iterations of characters like her and Ray Sloan um, and obviously you get the, the more well known pieces as well but I'm just really excited to get my hands on that book. Yeah that looks really beautiful. I was in Waterstones today and they have actually done quite a similar book for Doctor Who. Mm. Um, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it was all about the various different female characters they've had in Doctor Who over the years. And each one had like a profile and a piece of art attached to them. So basically the same concept, to be honest. But it was really great. And it was lovely, actually, to just flick through that and be like, yeah, Doctor Who has so many badass female characters. It's it great. does. Yeah. And so does Star Wars. Yes, it does. But I was yeah. going to say, like, obviously Doctor Who is starting again tonight, and I'm so excited to see the female Doctor. Definitely. It's literally on right now as we speak. The biggest book announcement for, like, new publishing news um, was Alphabet Squadron by Alexander Freed, who I know from um, the Rogue One novelization, but I think he also wrote Battlefront, the first novel for Battlefront, anyway. Um so that's arriving June 2019. Set after Return of the Jedi, Alphabet Squadron follows a unique team of pilots, each flying a different class of starfighter as they struggle to end the war they fought so long for once and for all. Alphabet Squadron. <laughs> like, I'm so sorry. Like, <laughs> that is like quite a badass sounding synopsis. But I just cannot take it seriously at all. You know, I'm sorry, Alphabet Squadron, are you joking? Is it like, it's going to be Pilot A, <laughs> Pilot B, Pilot C, Pilot D. <laughs> when when I first heard of this, I was like, is this like a young children's book? You know, yeah. that they were going to be doing like the ABCs that Star Wars <laughs> themed. Because that could be a thing. I'm sure that book exists out there somewhere. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But no, that's actually, um, I, I don't know. No, not to yeah. make of it, to be honest. I literally, like, when I heard that title, I had, um, like, in my head, the idea of, like, a, like you say, a children's picture book. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, um, A is for Alderaan, B <laughs> is for BB-8. Right. C is for... Corellia? Coruscant? Corellia. <laughs> C-3PO? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Any of the above. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like, it's just so absurd. I'm sorry, guys, but I really think they should reconsider that title. It's just a, a joke. I don't know. We'll we'll see. Like it did make us laugh, and it did. <laughs> I wonder if it's gonna rile up some discourse for like the Arabesh basic people, like the 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 linguists in the Star Wars fandom. Oh gosh, Who yeah, knows? that's true. Yeah. Like, how does the alphabet even work? <laughs> so oh. yeah, but that's that's the main announcement for something that we hadn't heard of before because the next thing is um, they released some cover art for Master and Apprentice which is the Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan book by Claudia Gray that's coming out next year Yes. and have you seen the artwork? I have seen the artwork it's, it's pretty nice. much what I would expect yeah it's a bit basic like it's very well done 
Yeah. It's very like good looking, but it doesn't tell you anything other than it's about Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. Yeah. There's something about it that seems so old-fashioned, but I guess it's just because it looks so straight out of the prequels age, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Like it's it looks a throwback. Yeah, it's like early 2000s aesthetic. <laughs> Obi-Wan and his little ponytail. It's adorable. So yeah, that it's was like... cool. I'm excited to read that. Yeah, um, definitely. And then we got news about the comic series. So that's um, the Age of Republic, Age of Rebellion, and Age of Resistance. So that's three different sections that are all written by different people. Um, Age of Republic, written by Jodie Hauser, arrives in December this year. Um, Age of Rebellion by Greg Pak begins in April next year. And Age of Resistance by Tom Taylor is coming July 2019. And they had cover art for the um, Republic and Rebellion um, series and they're pretty much like all the characters you would expect you know the main heroes and villains um, and mm. then Age of Resistance I th- they haven't released art for it yet but again it's like the villains are Hux, Phasma, Snoke and Kylo and the heroes are Rey, Rose, Finn, Poe so yes. yeah looking forward to seeing all of those yeah I saw um, <laughs> I find it really interesting how like all the like magazines they're being released in like pairs kind of and Snoke and Rose are a pair. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Poor Rose. Yeah, like it doesn't mean anything. It's not that it's like a like buddy cop drama with like Rose and Snoke being thrown together on a wacky adventure. Although that sounds amazing. <laughs> it should happen. Um, in my mind, it should happen. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, it's just funny to see those names paired because the other ones are all very logical. It's like General Hux and Poe, which of course makes sense. They're kind of rivals. And then you have Finn and Phasma, which makes sense because they've got that history. And then Rey and Kylo, duh. Uh, yeah. And then so Rose and Snoke are like the oddball. <laughs> Although, the odd couple. I will forever mourn the fact that Rose biting Hux's finger did not make it into the movie. What an amazing moment. Yeah, that was good. Especially his little squeal. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's what he deserves. Yeah, exactly. If you're a bad boy, you get your finger bit off. (laughs) Bad boy, Hux. (laughs) I just have the most awful mental image now of Hux and like a biker outfit, but it's like all posturing. (laughs) And he's really bad at it. Yeah, he's very bad at it. Right, so the next thing, which looks absolutely adorable, is Brian Kessinger's and um, Caitlin Kennedy's C-3PO Does Not Look Like Sand. So that's a a kid's book, which kind of has this, like, Peanuts style, it looks like. Oh, that looks like a really fun, cute kid's book, which is great. There's always room for more of those. Yeah, and I will be buying that because I'm so happy for Brian Kessinger that he actually gets to make official Star Wars art now. Yes. No, it's so good. Hopefully after episode nine, he'll be able to publish like a compilation of all those wonderful Raylo things he's done. Yes, I was going to say, we've been a fan of his Lil Kylo stuff for a long time. That he was just kind of posting on his own social media for fun um, after The Force Awakens came out. And then it started getting attention from Lucasfilm, who then in the lead up to The Last Jedi actually commissioned a few illustrations for him to release officially for Star Wars. Mm. But yeah, it'd be really cool to see that in actual published form. Yeah. No, it's lovely. Yeah, so the existing Vader comic by Charles Saul is coming to an end, um, which is sad because, well, I've read a little bit of that series and I really enjoyed it. It's like, it's set just after Revenge of the Sith, which is, it's it's just a really interesting journey for Vader um, Mm. and seeing his evolving relationship with Palpatine. Um, But Chuck Wendig uh, is going to be releasing a series called Shadow of Vader, um, and he says, Vader is a character with a long shadow, literally and figuratively. His legacy is deep and unpleasant. The world will not be bereft of Darth Vader in the comics for long, as Wendig announced that he'll be writing a miniseries called Shadow of Vader beginning in November. Each issue will feature a different set of characters. Issue one is a Friday the 13th homage, with Vader hunting down kids at summer camp. <laughs> <laughs> issue number two stars the one and only Wilro Hood, Issue number three centers on a morgue attendant on the Death Star. <laughs> Issue number four diverges to focus on the acolytes of the beyond. 
Issue 5 follows a New Republic pilot whose parents were killed by Vader, who joins the Resistance, only to learn that Leia's father is the Sith Lord. This sounds really cool, doesn't it? It does sound really, really cool. Like, I'm so intrigued by the whole Vader hunting down kids at summer camp. Is that going to be canon? I, I don't understand. Does it mean, like, kids in the Star Wars universe? Or does it mean, like, kids in like, our universe? Is it like Vader travels through a portal <laughs> to, like, an American as Cherry Pie summer camp? This <laughs> is like... Argh. I don't know, because, like, in the back of my mind, I was thinking of, like, a Jedi school. But, of course, that wouldn't be the case at that point. So... No. <laughs> I have no clue. <laughs> like, what are you doing, Chuck? What yeah, that doing? might not be a a truly honest description of that issue but who knows yeah um but yeah like i really like the idea of exploring vader through the perspectives of all of these different characters because as they say he has this long shadow he basically shaped the events of the the empire and the galaxy for a long time his choices yeah and caused a great deal of suffering for so many people so that's really cool um it's very cool. The one that appeals to me the most is the whole idea of a Republic pilot whose parents were killed by Vader realising what's going on with Leia and her lineage. That's so fascinating. That's, That's going to be some bloodline shit there. Yeah, I wondered if that was going to be the timeline that he actually just finds out as the rest of the galaxy finds out, you know? So oh, I guess wow. that's yeah, before be good. the actual resistance is formed because that's still towards the end of bloodline when she's still in the Senate. Yes, that's true. Um, yeah, so on the cusp of that. Yeah, so I'm not sure how that's going to work. Then maybe he just wasn't like listening to the hollow nail or something. <laughs> it's just like completely missed it. <laughs> Guess we'll see. You'd assume it would be big news, given how it all goes down in Bloodline. You know, it's not done in like a subtle way. That's the mm-hmm. whole point. Yeah. The other one I'm really interested in is the Acolytes of Beyond, because obviously we haven't seen them since the Aftermath trilogy, and they were motivated by hunting down dark side relics including things like vader's helmet and saber and all that so i'm just interested to see how that will continue to fit into the events of the sequel trilogy if at all yeah that would be really interesting what i'd love to see at one point and i'm sure one day it will happen but to continue the long tradition of like skywalker kidnapping stories that happened in the eu um, but I'd like to see like a cult like Acolytes of the Beyond, like hatch like a kidnapping plot targeting like Ben Solo because he'd be like the ultimate like souvenir of Darth Vader, you know, because he's like his like blood descendant and he's like the child, so he can be molded however you want and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I think that could be really interesting. It could also be really hokey and cliche because <laughs> it's a story we've seen done so many times with Jaina and Jason. But there's potential to make it really cool and interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it depends on the timeline of those things. Exactly. It would work better if he were being kidnapped as a small child rather than like a 21-year-old <laughs> man. True. <laughs> they, they could do either, I guess. <laughs> Issue three was the, the morgue attendant on the Death Star, actually. It reminds me of, um, from a certain point of view, that you had mm. all these like tiny background characters in the original trilogy who's little stories and perspectives were fleshed out some to quite humorous effects so i wonder if that's going to have a bit of like gallows humor yeah no that would have to be dark there's no way it's not dark <laughs> like i almost wonder if um they'd tie that in with padme somehow so i know there has been stuff like <gasps> oh. in the past about like oh like what happened with padme did she die with the did the children die with her that sort of thing like, I'm trying to think how they'd connect that to Vader. But there's a million ways they could do that. So mm-hmm. that's not necessarily how it would go. But yeah, it's a really interesting possibility. It is. It's a really cool idea for a new series. Because people always want more Vader. But there have been so many existing stories about him that they have to come up with kind of fresh ways to do that. And this does sound fresh to me. Yeah. By the way, did you know who Will Rowe Hood was? Nope. Oh. <laughs> okay, so I can tell you... Like, Wilro Hood was a human male who was present aboard the Imperial One-Class Star Destroyer Harbinger when it was hijacked by the Rebel Alliance in the year Zero ABY. For fear that the overloaded reactor might explode, the Admiral in command of the Harbinger ordered the passengers and crew to abandon ship before the Rebels set foot aboard it, along with stormtroopers and technicians. 
who had rushed to, to a hangar for evacuation. Basically, like, I haven't got there, but I won't, so otherwise I'll just go on and on. He was one of the extras on Cloud City. Oh. And, yeah, so I, I'm not sure why exactly they're focusing on him. Um, He is one of the very few black characters in Empire Strikes Back. Right. Besides Lando. Um. Yeah, so maybe that's the reason why they're focusing on him. Okay. It's, it's certainly interesting. And he's not a character I would have expected to have crossed paths with Vader. So, Right. Yeah. So that kind of feels like a, from a certain point of view thing as well, where these characters who you kind of vaguely wondered about, are like on a viewing sometime, like someone in the background being like, oh, I wonder what that guy's story is. Yeah, but, exactly. But now we'll get it. Now we'll know. Yeah. So yeah, it's very exciting. All will be revealed. <laughs> no stones left unturned in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> exactly. You appear for like a split second. <laughs> oh my lord, it's so funny. Um, right, then I think we have reached the point where we want to just have a little chat about Resistance in anticipation of it airing tonight. Um, obviously this is going to be a little bit weird because... For some people have already seen it and by the time this episode is edited and uploaded the episode will have been out everywhere basically so the people who are going to see it will have probably seen it but we'll still have a little chat and discuss our hopes and dreams and our desires and everything so yeah <laughs> yeah i just wanted to bring up this interview that brandon orman did with um jeremy conrad at bleedingcool.com um, because he just has a few interesting things to say about working on Resistance and the development of the characters. Um, so he he is asked, what is it like to bring a whole new part of Star Wars to life? Did you feel a lot of responsibility that comes with that? Oh, geez, yeah. <laughs> it kept me up at night. Dave had a lot of it already envisioned. It has been in his head for years. When he brought me into it, he talked to me a lot about the relationships between characters and carving out a new piece of the Star Wars galaxy, which is extremely fun. Sometimes I think fans only want to see the same things over and over again. Like if it's the new trilogy, they just want to see Poe and the characters established in the movies. But you can't do that. You have to create new characters. I don't think we can get Oscar for every episode as much as we want to. He's a busy man. Having someone like him blew our minds though. I got to read him in a couple times. He's in here. He's acting. He's already got the lines memorized. It's kind of intimidating, but tremendous fun. But it has been really great adding to the Star Wars galaxy. That's the best part. Then he's asked, are you more a First Order guy or a Resistance guy? Which side is easier to write? I like both, but I would say Resistance. The thing about First Order guys is that they're fun to write, yes, but they're all these dark characters that we play completely straight. There's no comedy there. On the Resistance side, however, there is, because they're all fish-out-of-water characters that lend themselves to humour. Kaz grew up wealthy on Hosnian Prime, so now he's in this situation where he's working in this blue-collar Colossus station that is dangerous. I liken him to a bird. He's great in the air, but put him on the ground and he's just completely out of his element and clumsy. Or Niku. He takes everything so literally. He would give you the shirt off his back, and he has this sweetness about him. To me, that would make him a great role model for kids teaching them to be selfless. And Jaeger. He's so old school. He's been around since the original trilogy, so he brings that toughness from them with him. Tam is also very awesome to write as well. She's fiery and no-nonsense, and she's kind of a serious character. She has her own aspirations and desires, and you will see those play out as we keep going. She's very complicated. Just seeing them interact with each other and classic characters is so awesome, it makes all so much fun. Aww. So, yeah. He's like such a good guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he's had a lot of fun working on this. It sounds like it he has at least um although i feel bad for him saying that it kept him up at night because there's got to be a certain amount of stress too um yeah no it's got to be really intense yeah i just wanted to include these comments because there were some things that he came up with that um i've bolded because they just seemed interesting to me this idea of like i think fans only want to see the same things over and over again so it's great that they included characters like Poe and Leia, but he's right, they have to have new people for the actual focus of the show. Yes. Um, and with Poe especially, we already have the Poe Dameron comics, and yeah, we have two out of three movies from the new trilogy now, so it's probably better to have him as a little minor character who the other characters can kind of play off of just to contextualise things a bit more. Yeah, exactly. He's just foil, really, and that's the way it should be. 
The thing that really interested me was when he said that Kaz grew up wealthy on Hosnian Prime. Mm, yeah, I found that really intriguing, actually. I was like, ooh, honestly, before I saw this interview, I didn't realise that was his backstory. Right, exactly. And that's really interesting because, I don't know, I think we've seen so many scrappy orphans who come from nothing. That is interesting to get the opposite and have a hero who actually did come from wealth and is approaching it from a very different angle. Yeah, for people who don't remember or didn't know, Hosnian Prime is the planet that we see in The Force Awakens that gets blown up by Sarkella Base. So... Yeah, he's going to have baggage. (laughs) Well, he won't yet. Yeah, but he will. Yes. So my guess is that his parents are still alive and then we know that that's coming. So it lends actually this little bit of tragedy <laughs> yeah. which is quite heavy for what seems to be a light-hearted cartoon but yeah, i guess definitely. if it's not actually something that's depicted in the show it's just people from watching the force awakens can make that connection it's like oh god poor cows yeah there's gonna be quite rough potentially i although i must say i i think they'll use that as an excuse to have like bonding moments between Kaz and leia for example because then they'd really have something in common because obviously leia had to deal with her parents being blown up on Alderaan and we know that Kaz is likely to face the same thing you never know hopefully they're on like holiday at the time or they're <laughs> off world something like that but just dramatically I think is the sort of thing where they're gonna go for it you know Mm-hmm. yeah that's when stuff gets real because I'm guessing like later seasons if they go into like post TFA timeline that's something that will have had a huge impact on his character yeah so it was exactly. awesome development because, you know, we love to see characters killed off for the sake of other people's development. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> it's the only way to develop characters, surely. You know, you need to, like, have the people close to you die. Otherwise, there's no way of evolving as a person, right? In Star Wars, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, we probably won't actually see his parents as characters. So it's just, like, yeah, background detail. but. Yeah. If they have like longer in- lingering scenes where like Kaz is on his bunk looking at like a, f- a hologram of his parents like waving at him and smiling, going, "Oh man, I love mum and dad. I have to go home and see them soon." Oh no! Yeah, it's like Ezra. Oh <laughs> God, pain. <laughs> no. Star Wars is pain. It is so much pain. Yeah, and um, and I really like the sound of the other characters too. It, ca- it kind of just echoes what we've already seen from the promotion of like Niku being this super fun, pure, positive character and Tam being quite serious and assertive. Um, but yeah, yeah, just it seems that like everyone is fully realised, which mm-hmm. is nice. Like, yeah. Because that's so important because there's nothing worse than a TV series where the characters feel a bit samey where you can't really differentiate between them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're not going to get that problem. Yep. And I'm already seeing reactions on social media. I said it earlier, like, yeah, it's out there. So yeah, you're right. By the time that people actually listen to this, they might have even seen the show themselves and watched the first few episodes. But it just feels weird not to talk about it because it's the new thing of the, the week. Yeah. No, I've heard that Um, for some people, they're very impressed, especially by the first episode. I think I've heard that episodes two and three are a little bit more filler. Oh, but- okay that's sort of what you'd expect to be honest yeah i guess i think people's perception of what is filler differs as well yes absolutely because some things that don't move plot can develop character and vice versa you know it's everything can be for different purposes and you you need a bit of both so yeah exactly it's all about balance and act isn't it Mm -hmm. but other than that i'm just really excited to have a show that we're both going to watch so that we can discuss it kind of in real time because I, I totally get that you weren't into Rebels because it was like original trilogy focused and mm, that's yeah. kind of old hat for some people. Um, but because this ties into what's actually going on with the new trilogy, it's it's perfect, really. So Yeah, no, exactly. It'll be great to have a talking point every week. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's been wonderful. Oh, yeah, just one other thing I wanted to say is that we did have some people interact with us about this whole idea of setting each other challenges that we discussed at the start of the episode and one listener came to us with the suggestion that we should watch the Star Wars holiday special um, 
And yeah, I just wanted to mention that because I think we both agree that's quite a good idea, don't we, Kirsty? We'd be up for that. Yes, listener Andrew on Twitter suggested it <laughs> because we're coming up to the 40th anniversary in November of the holiday special. So no time like the present. And exactly. I don't, I've never watched the whole thing. I've seen clips. Have you seen yeah. it? I think I have seen all the way through once. Okay. I brought um, a bootleg DVD of it, like, ages ago literally before youtube was even a thing um and yeah i remember being quite amazed by it not in the best ways but uh it's certainly a thing that is worth watching so yeah i think it could be really fun to have an episode dedicated to that yeah definitely although i will say from what i remember you'll learn more about what us light entertainment was like in the late 1970s than you will about star wars because it is very much like a variety show yeah you know just with like star wars themes and star wars settings mm-hmm. it's extremely bizarre but it's i don't know i guess it's a bit like comic relief almost exactly yeah that's what yeah. i was likening it to so it's just like serves no public good so it's therefore <laughs> really cynical and a capitalist but ah it is what it is <laughs> Sorry, I put a weird spin on that. <laughs> no, I'm looking um, forward to seeing extended scenes of Wookiees speaking a language that we don't understand. Yeah, the best part is um, Chewie's dad. He's like a pervert. <laughs> oh my god. And yeah, there's some really questionable scenes with him. Um, but yeah, we'll have that in store. So cool. yeah, thank you very much for the suggestion. And if you have any ideas for what you would like to challenge us to do, within reason, there's certain things we won't do, um, please do let us know probably by hitting Kirsty up on Twitter because yeah, she's definitely the most accessible of us yeah and if you want to be anonymous you can ask us on Tumblr as well so don't exactly. worry we won't shame you for that yeah no <laughs> no shame um, yeah so on that note I think it's probably a good time to bid adieu and say where people can find us so you can find me that's Rachel at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, bye! Bye! bye.